Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust. Member FDIC. Radio. So I happened to see her Bible and I went to pick it up and a letter fell on the floor. And I didn't read the letter, but it said Charles A. Brown, 302 East Ash, Enid, Oklahoma. I put it back in her Bible. She came home and I said, Mama, who's Charles A. Brown? She says, that's your father. I said, that's not my father. Is that your husband? Because I never wanted to just call him father. She said, yes, it is. I said, what kind of man was he? She said, he was a good man. To be honest with you, I didn't ever, was, I wasn't interested in him. You know, Dale didn't have that, that influence that most of us have in life. No father. And uh, a mother, yes, that cared deeply and loved him, but there was no real male influence in his life. As Dale got older, he developed into a star athlete, playing three different varsity sports, both in high school and at Minot State University. Basketball was a way for Dale to leave Minot, North Dakota, and, um, uh, and, to, and to find his way into a world he could never have imagined. Years later, Brown would find himself in Enid, Oklahoma. The town scrawled on that envelope he'd found in his mother's Bible. He was on leave from the service in Kansas, and he'd come with a friend on a pilgrimage. Didn't have cell phones at that time, went in a drugstore. I dialed the number, and I said, is this Mr. Charles Brown? Yes, who's this? I said, Dale Brown. Who? I said, I'm in Enid, Oklahoma, and I'd like to come by and visit with you. We drove up. I said, Mr. Brown, I came here to ask you a question, and I came here to tell you something. The question I have to ask you, how could you possibly leave my mother and just walk out on her? He gave his feeble answer said you know he fell in love with another woman and whatever so I said I told you I came here to ask you something and I told you I came here to tell you something I said and I held up my hand I said I forgive you but it wasn't real sincere Dale Brown would soon marry his college sweetheart Bonnie Coaches and teachers didn't make much money at the time, but Brown decided to give it a try. We both were teachers. I taught at the high school. She taught at the college. Every month it was the same thing. Which bill do we put? We didn't have anything. She said, a lot of North Dakota people go to California and get good jobs. Why don't we do it? Within a year of that trip to California, Brown found himself at the end of his rope. He was a struggling junior high school coach in Berkeley, driving his team to a road game. It was raining in Berkeley, and the windshield wipers was going back and forth and back and forth, and it got a rhythm, Dale Brown, Dale Brown, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. I thought, I gotta figure out a way to get a job. He began writing hundreds of letters to college basketball coaches around the country, searching for a job. Only two people answered. One of them was Liddell Anderson at Utah State. He'd spent five years as an assistant at Utah State and another at Washington State, gaining a reputation as a coach with virtually endless energy and remarkable recruiting skills. They fire the coach at Washington State. The athletic director offers me the head job. And I didn't take it right away. I get home that night. My wife said, you got a message from a guy from Baton Rouge, Carl Maddox, an athletic director. He said they've fired the head coach and they'd like me to come down for an interview. When Brown arrived in Baton Rouge in 1972 to meet with Maddox, he was met by a small group and hardly any bells and whistles. They didn't have all these big committees set up. 
they had a, a local banker, they had an oil man from uh, Lafayette, southern Louisiana, and they had a professor at LSU. The oil man asked me a question. Coach Neil Brown, we've had 14 out of 18 losing seasons, so why are you any different than anybody else? Why should we even consider you? And I said, sir, I'm not sure you should consider me. But I give you my honor that I'm going to recruit human beings first and basketball players second. That means you could have an all-black team, you could have an all-white team, you could have an all-foreign team, you could have a combination of all three. When Dale was being interviewed, Carl Maddox said to Joe Dean, is this guy for real? So I called my wife and I told her what happened. And her reply was, Dale, Dale, Dale. She said, a kamikaze pilot's got more of a chance of getting that job than you are. But much to his wife's surprise, Dale got the job. And now he had a lot of work to do to compete in the SEC. Because while Bear Bryant was at the height of his powers on the football field, Alabama basketball was a rising power of its own. C.M. Newton and a young ambitious assistant named Wimp Sanderson had hit the recruiting trail hard and come up with a gem in 1972. Center, Leon Douglas. They didn't have a big guy that could block shots and, you know, and play under the basket. And so I was the big guy. I was supposed to be the piece to the puzzle. From 1974 to 1976, the Tide won three SEC titles in a row. We were the Kentucky of the SEC then. In the 1976 NCAA tournament, Alabama wiped out favorite North Carolina and Phil Ford in the first round. After we beat those guys, we, we felt we had a chance to win it all. But a whole different kind of test came in the Sweet 16 against undefeated Indiana, one of the greatest teams in college basketball history. Alabama trailed by eight at the half, but took a one-point lead, 69-68, late in the game. I went up and I shot the jump hook. Benson fired me. And they called me for charging. And that really shifted the game. That was disappointing. We took some we took some bad shots at the end of that game. The closest that Indiana team came to losing was the 76 game in Baton Rouge. That Leon Douglas team had a chance. I mean they I mean they had they really should have won the game. Bobby Knight Stimulating your FM You hold in your hand a radio Yes, the radio Alright, listen up 103.7 The Buzz Had that call go the other way We would have won that game And I think we would eventually did what they did We won a national championship Southern Hoops, a history of SEC basketball, is presented by Pfizer BioNTech. Do you have an invention idea? Go to inventhelp.com. We have representatives nationwide and services to showcase your invention. Get started today. Go to inventhelp.com for free information. Why are you wearing uncomfortable jeans when you could be wearing Muggsy jeans? One of our thousands of five-star reviews said, these jeans feel like rolling around in a puddle of puppies. <laughs> Head to Muggsy.com to get your first pair of the most comfortable jeans ever worn.
Introducing Mando, the whole body deodorant that I created with all body odor in mind. I'm Dr. Shannon Klingman, and I'm the inventor of whole body deodorant. It's like body odor never even happens, and you're going to be exceptionally stink-free and smell as good as humanly possible. Why is everyone talking about Navage and nasal irrigation? I was dealing with some just bad nasal congestion, post-nasal drip. Navage is simple. Your nose is the body's air filter, but it's not perfect. Navage is a drug-free way to help flush out allergens, mucus, and germs using powered suction. Join nearly 4 million Navage users so you can breathe better, Wait, snore less, and school. feel healthy. It's two, three minutes of my time, and I'm right next to my heart breathe. Navage, I get asked a lot what cookware I use. Rick Williamson. Brian Atkins. Nancy Silverton. Michelle McBailey. We're going to have the best pans in the world at one of the best restaurants in the world. Buying something that's going to last a lifetime, it's like creating an airline. The bread and butter of any great kitchen. It can hold heat, take heat, consistently cooking. I'm Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. When I started college, so many people warned me about credit cards. They just seemed really scary. When I needed a car, I realized that I needed to build credit. So I got the Chime Credit Builder card because I could safely build credit without being afraid of fees or interest. And there was no credit check. My score went up over 60 points and I bought my first car. As a busy college student, having a car is an absolute must. I feel like I could do anything. <laughs> my next goal, a 700 credit score. Join me at Chime.com. ABC Hockey Saturday is ready to rock. First, the push to the playoffs is on as Robert Thomas and the Blues face Dylan Larkin and the Red Wings. Then, a rivalry is renewed as Panarin and the Rangers take on Travis Konechny and the Flyers. An ABC Hockey Saturday doubleheader starting at noon. The playoff push is coming. The time is now. And now presenting Miss Kathy McCarroll in a fire baton repeat. There was no better show on the court than Tennessee in the 1970s. Well, if you went to a Tennessee game, you go 45 minutes early because you do not want to miss a second of the warm-up. Volunteer coach Ray Mears was the ringmaster. His philosophy was simple. Any kind of entertainment would do. They called him the Barnum of basketball. Ray Mears had a warm-up that w would rival what the Harlem Globetrotters did. He once gave a guy, Roger Peltz, a full scholarship only because he could ride a unicycle and juggle three basketballs at the same time. At the end of a season, only one team can raise the trophy. But entertainment is like every night if you're good at it. That's 80% of it, 90% of it. That's what we want on a cold winter's night in February. I mean, entertain me. So they had bell bottoms and stripes, and it was the 70s. <laughs> Bernard King came to Knoxville in 1974. King moves, King drives, King lays it up. Good by King. Ernie Grunfeld had come a year early. Jumpers up, bottom. Both were from the streets of New York. What a play by Ernie G. Ernie and Bernie lit up the SEC scoreboard. The jumper's up, bottom. Tennessee has won this game. Wrap it up in Big Island. And won an SEC title in 1977 to boot. In the years ahead, though, it would be the women's program, led by Coach Pat Summit, that would make history at Tennessee. Who did that country music song, I Was Country When Country Wasn't Cool? Barbara Mandrell. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the way we were. We were women's basketball when women's basketball wasn't cool. Nobody cared. There weren't any Tennessees or Texases or Georgias playing for national championship. 
That was Old Dominion. That was Immaculata. That was, that was Louisiana Tech. Delta State. Even in Tennessee, when Pat took over it, Tennessee Tech and Belmont were the powers. It started just with a person. Someone on campus that had the idea that they could play women's basketball. Pat Summit showed up in Knoxville, Tennessee in 1974 as a graduate assistant coach for the Lady Vols. Then the head coach abruptly quit and she was promoted to the top job at the age of 22. She was the farm girl from Henrietta, Tennessee. The program was all but a blank slate to build on. When she first came here, we were in alumni gym. It had been around since the 30s. You know, old dark wooden chairs. If you shot over the basket, the ball would, you know, end up in the balcony. At the University of Tennessee, our team loves to play defense. It was two years after the passage of Title IX. A new era dawning in women's sports. You know, some of us wanted to say, let's use Title IX and bang the drum, right? And they were like, no, we're going to find our way. We're going to prove that we can raise money, that we can start doing for our, our own to build ourselves. The young coach was tough, but not necessarily an activist. She asked for just what she needed. Uniforms, sneakers, gas money. With a wink and a smile, SEC women's basketball was on its way. We did all kinds of crazy marketing promotions. Now we had a used car night. We got all these car dealers to give us a car that ran. Every time out, we gave a car away. I mean, we had almost 8,000 people there. Our first game in Stokely, people were just kind of walking back from the football game. Some just came in to hang out in the gym. And Trish Roberts, in her very first game against Kentucky, scored 51 points, broke the field house record. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is amazing. She went into the president's office and they're like, you're spending too much money. And she said, no, I'm, I don't have enough money to spend. And so when she walked out of that meeting, the president ended up giving her more money. There were other grassroots programs springing up around the SEC as well. In 1979, Andy Landers, a country boy also from Tennessee, came to Georgia. I'm here a couple weeks. Yeah, I said, we're, we're uniforms. I need inventory, everything. Make sure we got enough socks. And they show me these uniforms, and I go, oh, my God. I mean, these things were horrible. You know, it, it looked like it had been worn five, six years. They had shrunk. So I wait till one day when nobody was around, and I took them and threw them in a the dumpster. And then a couple of months later, I go, hey, you know, I need to count those uniforms. Oh, they're gone. That's how you got new stuff. That same year, Mickey DeMoss started at Florida. There were some incidences where I was asked to get off the floor. Another SEC men's team was coming into practice and they happened to get there a little early. I was really embarrassed in front of my players more than anything because I felt like we were trying to set examples for women that you know, we are important and, you know, we, we do matter. The SEC ended up with some really, really good coaches who were young. Tennessee with Pat. Ole Miss with Van Chancellor. Van Chancellor had been an ultra-successful high school coach. Joe Champy comes down from West Point to Auburn. Sue Gunter comes to LSU. I come to Georgia. We're all about the same age. We're energized. I mean, it, it, it was a fight. We stress playing defense with our head and our feet. Our head does the thinking, our feet do the work. She went to battle for us. It helped to get 
women to play five on five in the state of Tennessee. Tennessee's High School Girls Basketball Association only let girls play a half-court version of the game. That is until Summit lobbied them to change to traditional full-court. In East Tennessee, that was the thing. Three-on-three three is fun to watch. That didn't go over well with high school coaches. They, in fact, she made a lot of enemies. Who is this? We're not changing for her. Women weren't being pushed physically, said Summit. Don't tell me we're not strong enough to run full court. So she came along and said, you know, this has got to change or, or these young ladies aren't going to get scholarships. After she won a silver medal as a player in the 1976 Olympics, Summit's Lady Vols finished third in the nation in 1977. even hit number one in the polls in 1978. But the hunt for a national championship continued. And I really think what she lacked maybe at the time in basketball knowledge, she was going to make sure we we're going to be in the best shape. We, we're going to outwork. We're going to be more physical. We're going to be in better shape than anybody else. When you played against Pat, there were two or three things that you knew that you had to deal with. You were going to be playing against a very talented team. That team was going to be mentally and physically tough, extremely confident, and that team was going to be well coached. Hey, beat that. We were just playing basketball with a pretty tough coach who was, we thought was crazy, but, but we loved it. We had fun. Basketball was fun. Southern Hoops, a history of SEC basketball, is presented by Pfizer BioNTech. When everything hurts, Play ball! Did he just say quit jumping on my... Oh, that's gotta hurt. Something screwy around here. 103.7 The Buzz. Ba -da -bum. Gotten even better. I've been a firefighter for over 21 years. I use titles so I can live my life and be able to do the things I enjoy with my kids and be able to do my job. It's definitely a pleasant feeling. You spray it and you feel a coolness. Then you feel it actually penetrating your skin. It truly is that easy. The all-new proprietary 360-degree continuous spray relieves pain in even hard-to-reach areas. Plant-based ingredients in Tidal can alleviate muscle pain, joint pain, even back pain. With an easy press activator to get the perfect coverage and dose with no rubbing needed. It's compact, it travels easy, I can take it everywhere. It smells really good, it relieves the pain quickly so I can continue doing what I love. Get the all new cryotherapy spray and the full line of Tidal products online or at your favorite retailer. Tidal, next generation pain relief. A cold day in the capital. Wembley Stadium hosts the EFL Cup Final for the love of rising stars. Chelsea are in with Cole Palmer. And last dances. It's a real chance for Luis Diaz. And it's in. For the love of English royalty. And their quest for silverware. The Carabao Cup Final. Sunday exclusively on ESPN+. If you're watching this Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance commercial, there's a good chance that you're alive. And if you're not, well, this may not be of interest to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Life insurance? I'm going to live forever. Death is what happens to other people. Well, for the sake of argument, let's assume you're wrong and that someday you won't be watching TV anymore. I know, it's not easy to talk about. So, I'll do the talking. If you're 50-plus and alive, you can apply for Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance with guaranteed acceptance, regardless of your health. And since this life insurance is guaranteed, you don't have to get a medical exam. In fact, you don't even have to fill out a health questionnaire. For a free quote, just call 800-446-1938. 
Then, when you stop, I mean, if you stop watching TV, your family can use the insurance money to help cover your final expenses or anything else. For a free quote, call today, 800-446-1938. Your kids already inherited your ears, allergies, and questionable singing voice. Don't make them inherit your final expense tab, too. Dale Brown spoke to former LSU player Joe Dean when he arrived in Baton Rouge. If you take the job, Dean said, you'll sing the anthem, keep your own stats, and sweep the floor. Brown wasn't scared at all. He was told right off the bat that we're a football school. Other than Pistol Pete Maravich's individual circus that was, basketball was dormant. And, and Dale was going to bring a, a, an excitement level. Coach Brown did it the old-fashioned way. He drove door-to-door to promote LSU basketball. Carrying with him a poem to read aloud. It read, This is a net from the purple and gold for a sport that will never go old. I talked to people who remembered when Dale Brown came to their neighborhood and changed the net uh, at the basketball hoop in their yard because he wanted he wanted purple and gold hanging from hanging from the rim. If Brown was going to succeed, he knew he had to keep in-state talent at LSU, particularly African American stars. Were there problems? Yes. Uh, integrating the program, there was only one black in the history of the school, Paulus Temple. He's open, complete at the 10. The it wasn't easy. Death threats on my life. the buzz. One o'clock at night, I pick up the phone. Brown, you sob. I know where your daughter sits. Next game, they come to the game. They're dead. You understand that? They're dead. There were elite players available in Louisiana that he thought he was going to get. One was in my hometown, Robert Parrish. Elvin Hayes wasn't even recruited. Elvin Hayes from North Rayville, Louisiana. I'd go into homes and try to recruit their son, African-American. And the father, they'd listen to everything, and then the father would say, I don't want my son to go to a racist school. You may not be racist, but how are you going to change the racism at the school? Coach Brown sent his assistants far and wide, and his first great African-American recruit, Rudy Macklin, actually came from an unlikely place, Kentucky. Started getting a lot of attention, and so it was time to kind of narrow the schools down, as my father would say, let's get this house back, in, back, to, back to normal. So Dale Brown came to the school, and uh, Denny Crum called, and he said, don't do anything until I get there. Dale Brown sensed something was going on, and so he said, Rudy, you mind taking me to that famous park where you learned to play? I said, oh yeah, it's okay. So we get in his, in his car, here comes Denny Crum. And I said, well, Coach, hold up. Let me tell Coach Crum we'll be right back. He said, no, 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 no. He'll be here. We'll be right back. <laughs> and so the best recruiting move out. And Dale didn't mind uh, pissing off other coaches. He was going to get what he needed to get done or else. I'm keeping him in this car as long as humanly possible. I told Rudy, I said, you can go to Kentucky and Louisville. And... They may win the national championship with you, but they also will win it without you. He said, but if you were to come to LSU, you can always say you built something. And he was trusting me, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. So we had really a nice talk. And just as I drove up to take him back to school, Denny Crumman waited for him. He was backing out and leaving. I told my principal that I was going to go to LSU. We played an uh, exhibition game with a team called Athletes in Action. Former NBA players and college players. I mean, they had some great players on there. 
and we got beat pretty badly. I came to my dorm and I called my mom. I said, Mom, you know, I said, I, I might have made a mistake. It seemed like nobody really cared about basketball here. And uh, she said, no, uh-uh, no, no. You're not going anywhere. You're going to stay right there. You made a commitment. You have to honor it. That's what Macklin's do. They have you there for a reason. I said, my mom, I'm just one man. She said, sometimes that's all it takes. We were in the locker room, but there's a bulletin board that you can't miss. Coach Brown put an article on the bulletin board that said that uh, Coach Dale Brown made a mistake. Brown made a mistake. An in-state kid got away. This guy down in New Orleans, Carlos Zuniga, who's going to go to Tulane or what have you. Cookie Man, my roommate at the time, Greg Cookie, he said, Mac, you see this? Said, yeah, I saw it. He said, man, can you believe this guy? Saying this guy, whoever this Zuniga is, better than you. It's okay, we're going to see. The first game of his career, a record that still holds at LSU, he got 32 rebounds. The moment he got Rudy Macklin. Rudy Macklin playing like a man for them. That was the key element. That's what got it going. Porter, a six foot seven forward from Louisville, Kentucky, Rudy Macklin. To reign supreme in the SEC, Macklin and LSU would have to topple the benchmark for all conference teams. You think you're a good team? You need to beat Kentucky at Kentucky. That's how when you know you're good. So he's back home. He's in his home state here. Nothing better than he'd like to do than to beat the Big Blue. Yeah, 24,000 people screaming toward the end of the game. And the only people you can hear was my family. You know, they were in the rafters, of course, you know, and uh, I had about 15, 20 family members up there, and all you could hear was them. Dale Brown's promise to Rudy Macklin had proven true. They were building the Tiger program together, and it wasn't the only promise Brown had kept. The president of the NAACP would come at lunchtime each week and, and seek me out. I come out to his car. He said, everything okay? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, then I'm just checking. All right. And this went on first, freshman year, sophomore year, every week. Man, so my senior year, and this is, I said, Mr. Thing, I said, we've been doing this now for five years. I had a red shirt year. I said, how is it that you always, you know, come get me a, and, uh, come out here and sit in your car. We talk at lunchtime. And he said, Yo, daddy, before you sign, call Coach Brown. He said, Before I send my son that far south, I want to get a guarantee that my son will be protected. And Coach Brown promised my dad that he would watch over me. Yeah, and that was his way of watching over me. And then Dale Brown had the audacity and the bravery to put five black players on the court at once. Dale Brown had fought for it. And Dale Brown had made it so. And to think that that was transformed from no blacks on the varsity until 1970, 71, to an all-black team in 1978. In seven years, Dale Brown changed the world. didn't want to get into credit cards because I realized I didn't know anything about it and it felt very risky to me. So my friend told me about Chime. I got the credit builder card and it was crazy. I didn't have to worry about interest. I didn't have to worry about fees. It wasn't a credit check. My score is up 80 points. I just finished my feature film and it feels like there's a future ahead to where we're saving up to buy a house. Look, if I can do it, you can do it too. Join me at Chime.com. At Made in Cookware, our product testing is a little different. It's 264 guests, 48 tables, 6 nights a week, 1,200 cuts, 96 tickets, 675 dishes, plated to perfection. It's wash after wash, night after night after night. 
We make cookware that can withstand the rigor of the world's most established kitchens so that it will last a lifetime in yours. in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have live agents available right now to answer your questions and tell you how much your case is potentially worth hi I'm Gina Belich here with spokesman and TV personality Tom Mustin with us in the help center so Tom phones are really busy over there tell us what kind of calls you're seeing well Gina first off thank you for having me here in the call center with you we always enjoy talking to the viewers and getting folks the compensation that they deserve you know we're seeing calls about all kinds of accidents but the most common by far has been car accidents so if you or someone you know were injured in an accident that was not your fault give us a call right now you'll speak with a live person they'll answer any questions you have and tell you if you have a case and how much your case is potentially worth thanks Tom all right folks at home you heard it take advantage of this opportunity and call now mr. rep you are now, I believe, about 66. You continue to coach. You must really love it. Well, I do. You know, I'm, I'm the only coach in the business today that's on Medicare and Social Security and retirement, so that I've, uh, I've got a lot of things going for me. I'll tell you my favorite, my very favorite coach up story. He was associated with the colonels in the old ABA. The colonels were a very tight team. After every game, we wound up at somebody's home. And so when Coach Rupp would attend the game, if I had the party at our house, he'd stop by on the way back to Lexington. And so he loved his bourbon, loved his bourbon. And so I'd fix him a bourbon and have it ready for him when he walked in the door. And so one night I hand him his bourbon and he says, Dan, I can't take it. I said, what's wrong, Coach? He said, ah, the doctor's on me about my diabetes. He said, I have to lay off the hard stuff. He said, do you have any vodka? I came there, I had a two-year contract. And at the end of two years, no one uh, uh, talked to me about leaving, so I just stayed. I've been there ever since. I was with him at basketball practice one day, his last year, 3.30 in the afternoon, and his head would fall and he'd snap up and he'd say damn basketballs bouncing 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 they're putting this old coach to sleep Adolph Rupp coached at Kentucky until 1972 when finally it was time for him to step down people had that feeling after the 66 game that he would retire but he held on until the mandatory retirement age of 70 in 1972 forced him out at UK. He fought it to the bitter end. The Baron of the Bluegrass won four national championships, 27 regular season SEC titles, and 876 games in his 41 years as Kentucky's head coach. The machine that we use to send out the official... Stop, there was only one place to get the information I needed. Can you tell us where that is, please? Go to 1037thebuzz.com. Business. Rupp showed that if you can succeed in one of the poorest states in America and build an empire, college basketball could succeed anywhere. Rupp was born in 1901 and emerged as a man of an era with an undeniably complicated legacy. I've understood Rupp as a 19th century son of German immigrants in northeastern Kansas. I never once thought that he should have been the Martin Luther King Jr. of college basketball. He was one of thousands of coaches who never recruited black players. There was also the stubbornness and the spite 
that didn't lend itself to warm treatment from the media as the years went by. Rupp was a cantankerous, ornery, mean, egotistical person. I talked to Bill Spivey. Bill Spivey said Rupp hated everybody. All he cared about was winning games. When he became the Baron, when he accumulated all that power and all that success, uh, the faculty really uh, came to resent his arrogance. He just infuriated too many people because he could. He died in 1977. A simple service was held. Bourbon was poured and Rupp was quietly laid to rest. There wasn't a lot of people at his funeral. It's in Lexington, and it's a beautiful church. Um, there weren't a lot of people there. To this day, he can be a divisive topic. His name atop Kentucky's arena still, a frequent subject of protest. Nothing will stand forever. In time, I'm sure that that name will be changed. So father, we get away from that period there's so many young people particularly those athletes who will be playing in that arena have no sense of that history I don't think that he was a racist but did he maybe say a word or something that he I think we probably all have you know uh, again he's not here to defend himself about all of that but I think that the name should stay because I think it's going to we tell to the, the history. It's on KABC Little Maybe sometimes the, the little ugly zone. things that might have happened here. You got to do more than simply change the name to change things. My real serious meeting with Coach Rupp was after he was already retired. He still had an office in the Coliseum. He called me into his office as I was walking by and I said, hey coach, how are you? He said, I'm fine. He said, I just want you to know one thing. He said, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. I had no doubt that he was 100% serious about that. I mean, he said, I'm really glad you're here. Jack Givens and James Lee had put the Commonwealth of Kentucky in a fervor as they approached graduation at their respective Lexington high schools in 1974. You know, James and I uh, grew up here in Lexington. I mean, we were from the same neighborhood. We grew up in a housing project here in Lexington and, uh, you know, the one thing we could always do is go to the park and play basketball. Playing in the dirt bowl at Douglas Park. It started out as a dirt court years ago. It's a neglected strand of Kentucky's basketball history. All the black kids who learned to love the game by playing for hours on end on dusty lots in Lexington and Louisville. We'd play during the week, but the big days were Sundays, man. I mean, there would be standing room only at the parks watching, watching us play back in the day. Now, what about black athletes at Kentucky now? Can we expect to see some? Very definitely, Charlie. We have some that we're recruiting very hard, and we're encouraged about the, the progress that we've made with them. Then and now, it felt like a critical juncture in U.K. basketball history. The Cats hadn't won a championship in 16 years. And Coach Joby Hall couldn't let the talented local stars slip away. What were the other schools that you seriously considered, if, if in fact you really did? We didn't. No, I, I think it was. <laughs> when I was a student reporter, 
the first time I interviewed Joe was in his office and he before we started the interview he goes I want to show you something and he opened the drawer and he pulled out and he had letters and clippings of people who had sent him just this awful racial stuff about him recruiting black players calling him every name in the book there were both sides who uh, had mixed emotions about whether or not uh, we should go to the University of Kentucky. The relationship between the university and the African American community was still not a very good one. There were African American uh, uh, people who were saying the same thing, not wanting us to go to the University of Kentucky. You know, James Lee's dad was a pastor, Reverend A.B. Lee. You know, pastor the church just a few blocks over from here. So everybody knew Reverend Lee, right? So, you know, um, I mean, these were young men who people had watched growing up. There were some really, really influential people who uh, made it clear that they wanted to see things change. Basketball was changing everywhere, and especially changing in the South, and uh, people were changing everywhere. You know, that Southern hate everybody who is different than I am mentality was, uh, was pretty much gone now, openly gone. I don't know what was happening behind closed doors and what people were saying, uh, you know, behind our backs and all of that kind of stuff, but who cares? We're Kentucky. So anywhere we go in the South, we are hated. And it's not because of the name on the back, it's the name on the front. During the three seasons that spanned from 1974 to 1977, Kentucky continually knocked on the door of a national championship. But it always seemed to elude them. I was in the final game of the NCAA tournament as a freshman. We played against John Wooden in UCLA in his last game. I missed the Final Four by one game my junior year. And it's all over. North Carolina. The seniors had done just about everything you could do except win the championship. I mean, we made up our minds that, you know, it's either win or else, or it's win or die trying. You know, we, we weren't coming up short. Besides Gibbons and Lee, Kentucky relied on two bruising inside players, Mike Phillips and Rick Rogan, known as the Twin Towers, to anchor the team. But the glue that would truly bond the Wildcats together arrived in the fall of 1977. Kyle Macy, a transfer and coach's son, Cerebral, a terrific passer, and a fantastic shooter. Uh, it was great team chemistry, uh, not just the five on the floor, but all through the 12, 15 that we had, whether it was a walk-on or someone just a practice player. And Coach Hall, I think, has been quoted as saying that that team really never had a bad practice all season long. Uh, guys got along, guys were willing to sacrifice. Coach Rupp uh, really developed the tradition of Kentucky basketball with all his winning teams. One thing that Coach Hall was very aware of was that his teams would uphold that winning tradition. There's a story where they were on a flight uh, coming back from Tennessee after playing down there, the volunteers, and he pulled Kevin Grevy up beside him and said, you see all those lights down there, Kevin? And those are the people, he said, that stayed up to listen to our game. And that's how much this game you know, means to the people of Kentucky. There was kind of an anticipation foregone conclusion they were going to win. So it was like, are they good enough that they can go all the way? The 1977-78 season would be the last chance for the team's nucleus. They lost only two games during the regular season. And fought their way to a second NCAA championship game in four years. This time against Duke. It's been a tough year for Joe Hall. Pressure consistently to win, win, win. From the dirt bowl to the top of the mountain, Jack Gibbons scored 41 points. 
I wanted to shoot as many as I could shoot while I was hot. <laughs> you know, get me the ball. Well, it made our offense really easy. We, we saw Jack, you know, had the hot hand. So we kind of stopped uh, what we were really running and just tried to find Jack. Every shot that goes, the confidence level inches up just a little bit more. At the end of the game, and he needs to run one. James Lee dunks that ball. If that was the best way uh, that game could have ended. And that's going to be it. The University of Kentucky on the basketball championship. Their first national championship in 20 years. After Adolph Rupp's famed Fiddling Five team in 1958. It's unbelievable for me. It's just a great way to end the, end the career at a fine institution like the University of Kentucky and you know I never felt any better before a ball game than I did tonight. The emotion I felt was simply relief that this is over and that we're on top. There are greater people off the floor than they are on the floor and uh, when you have character like that uh, you can do so many things. Joe B. Hall who played for Rupp and worked as an assistant under him was finally out of the legend's shadow. Joe likes to say it was a season without celebration because you know, there was so much pressure on the team, and I think that's I, I think that's been overdone a little bit. But there was a lot of pressure on the team. A new era had dawned. Why so serious? Sports talk and entertainment. Let's put a smile on that face. One zero three seven. The buzz. Local kids who'd grown up playing on their neighborhood playgrounds. We get off the plane. There's thousands of people in the terminal, and there's no way you're even going to be able to walk through. And that was amazing. Just happy to bring the championship back to the state of Kentucky, and you are worth The police kind of cleared a path, and we rode back into the city. And there were cars parked. People who at the were at the airport. There were cars parked five miles away, and got out and ran to the airport to meet us. Now you can celebrate. That's real celebration uh, began. We're still celebrating today. I still get recognized when I'm out in public here in, in the state. They come up to you like, you know, you just played a game last week. A singular kind of pride had been restored in Kentucky. Even as this championship looked different than all the others. Winning a national championship and being successful knows no color. Decade to come. Yes, what are you doing? SEC women's basketball will continue to grow and flourish. As a Tennessee country girl set her sights on her first championship. Meanwhile, on the men's side, the game would never be more entertaining or high fly. There's Wilkins. It wasn't just the quality of the basketball, it was the coaches. I mean, they were so entertaining. It was like a comedy routine. And everybody gunning for Kentucky, so you kind of had your villain.